Hello and welcome to Fine Meats and Cheeses, the podcast where at Acme University, we earned our tune degree. I am Leslie Gray Streeter, um, who always makes everyone laugh with those stupid, stupid puns. I am a columnist for the Baltimore Banner, an author, and a person who just likes making people laugh with stupid puns. My co-host is... Oh, sister. Um... Thank you. Um, I am Lynn Streeter Childress. I am a maker of theater for young audiences, and that one's twin sister. And it's fun. And we are really, really excited to have as our guest today, Rob Harvilla of the really fantastic podcast, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s. Um, I listen to it when I'm pulling Ivy off of the fence in my backyard. Like, seriously, I do. Okay. It's no, it's good. It's so good to like just get into it. Whatever. Welcome, Rob Harbilla. Do you, hello, hello. Do you mean like Ivy, like the, the plant, or a child named Ivy who is clinging to your fence? Just to clarify. Um, that is actually a good question. It's the actual plant. Okay, I put on gardening right. gloves mm-hmm. and put your show in my earbuds. I dig that. And yeah. and and garden and I, it's it's good stuff. I get a lot of guys saying like, "Yeah, I was listening to you while mowing the lawn," and I'm like, "That's the exact activity I designed this entire show for. It's just like the soundtrack." <laughs> To mowing the lawn. That's what I aspire to. Absolutely. I, I'm very, I'm super honored to be here. Can I ask who came up with the name of this show? Me. Leslie. Leslie. I, I, had, a, I had a feeling, given, <laughs> given the pun of it all, it's an excellent name for a podcast. And I want you to Thank know that. You. Leslie. Thank you. And I have to say, I have been a guest coming up now on my fourth Mm-hmm. I think um, episode uh, of uh, 60 songs explain the nineties, which obviously there are many more than 60 songs now. Um, although I think that Rob topped himself with the episode I've been listening to not gardening cause I have no yard, but um, run walking and trying not to die through <laughs> the park near my house. The Courtney love episode <sighs> is just, it is one of the most beautifully like chaotic moments of, pop culture history that I did you know who half those people were that she was talking about or did you just like nod so you could keep moving I knew probably about 80% of them a lot of them through you know I I've been talking to her on text you know and what's what's <clears throat> what's app or whatever that thing is called and you know you just get these blocks of text you know, and it's just you, you see you hear how our mind works. Right. And it's yes. just, it's so dense and, and there's illusions of things. And you, you have to keep up and you're not going to 100 percent keep up like you just sort of let it wash over you. Like that's the beauty of it. But I knew most of what she was talking about, mostly because it's stuff that we had talked about before or I had spent, you know, two, three weeks sort of immersed in the Nirvana and the Courtney of it all. But still, I didn't get you know, everything, you know, and I, I hope as an experience, it's not, it's less about getting everything than it is about just letting it wash over you. Right. That's exactly who it was. And I imagine that most people who are listening to a Courtney Love episode in 2023 are listening because they want to hear about <laughs> Courtney Love. So they're not mm-hmm. right. purists going, I don't understand it reference. They're just, you know, that they're really yeah. just going, 
it's miraculous and amazing that this icon is on, you know, any podcast. Because as the guy you spoke to said, I don't do podcasts. Uh, Courtney doesn't do podcasts. And she showed up. And she had such an appreciation for what you do. And that moment where she was going down her favorite episodes that had nothing to do with her. Mm -hmm. It was such a lovely moment. I was, like, really hoping that she had mentioned something that I had done that she did not. Um, Because I wanted to be one degree from Courtney Love. But alas, that was not... um, to be i'm gonna put but, that down to courtney not rushing to the hootie and the blowfish episode for example <laughs> right she's she's not like oh celine dion i gotta get to that one immediately right like she's, yes. she's gravitating toward the songs that interest her and they interest we, her what we got to do next for you is find you a song that we know courtney is also interested and in. We'll, so she we'll can go that this. girl that girl messed that song up i was so looking forward to that but you anyway. be great uh, friends. Uh, i know yeah I love her. Well, can I ask a question? So a lot of times on Rob's show, he talks about the song. He talks about his connection to the song, some of the things that that are related and get to the song. And then he talks about, but I love it. I love all the setup. And then he talks um, about the song and he brings on a guest. And sometimes it's a music, a music journalist, uh, a podcaster. And sometimes it's people who were there. Yeah. Um, like my favorite um episode was the the sophie b hawkins um talking about torn <laughs> love yeah. love love yeah. and yeah. i was in my kitchen see i it's i was i was cooking um <laughs> another great again, activity you, for the you, show yes, yes you do yes. your life and you listen to really great stuff but do you have i would say a favorite what are the differences between interviewing people who were figures from that time like the writer strong one right um, right. Oh. Which I love that episode. Or talking. By the to- way, listeners, we are going to get to the actual cheesy <laughs> stuff. Um, we're just so excited to have them. We're all such like pop culture '90s dorks that uh, please uh, bear with us for like a question or two more. We right. we swear we're getting to the thing. We're getting. If you read the, everyone's, if you read the uh, title, everyone's on board with this. Yeah, don't worry. Right. About if you read the title, worry. you know where we're going. Exactly. Um, but. Um, but yeah, is there is it, there like a difference? I'm say which one is like is like better. But what are the differences yeah. between talking to like, you know, a, a journalist, um, again like my esteemed sister who was also there, or, and somebody who was like, like there, there, like, yeah. as Sophie B. Hawkins. When yeah. I started the show, you know, it, it started, it still is, but it started really modestly. And so I was talking in the interview portion almost exclusively to other journalists, you know, mm-hmm. other critics, other podcasters, you know, so not a lot of people who are in the room, you know, in any room associated with this song on that level. And Ryder Strong was an early example of like somebody who was like a celebrity in the 90s, right, who could sort mm-hmm. of speak to that experience, but that's only come up lately. Like Courtney Love, obviously by orders of magnitude is like the most famous person who's ever been on the mm-hmm. show. The Absolutely. dude from Eve six uh, okay. <laughs> came on uh, for the third eye blind episode. And that was, that, that was, was so good. <laughs> and the you. fact that Courtney Love said, yeah, I had beef with him too. Ever yeah, had beef with that yeah. guy. I wanted to ask her what the beef was. I really, I, <laughs> if I could have gotten, yeah, I wish I'd have asked her that because I, those two fighting is a very amusing notion <laughs> yeah, to me. It is. So it's only as the show has gotten slightly more popular that I, it's even possible for me to like reach out to people on the, on the Sophie B. Hawkins level. She's funny to me because I, 
you know, I don't think she wanted to talk more about herself than about Natalie Imbruglia. Like, I think that's yes. fair to say. And that's why I have her on. I have Sophie on because I love, you know, her music. Damn, I wish I, wish I was your lover Great from, there, from there on. And so I want to know her experience and how it relates to Natalie's experience. But it's not like she's a huge fanatic, you know, for Torn, you know, and just has right. to talk about it. Like, she's just, she can speak to that mindset, you know, of being a pop star in the 90s and trying to expand behind beyond your first hit song, etc. But yeah, I mean, if I went down the list of the 90 odd, you know, probably 80, because I've had people on multiple times, like Leslie, I, people who have been on the show, like it started entirely, it was other critics, podcasters. People like that. And there's maybe like 10, 12, maybe 15 people, you know, who are artists themselves, mm -hmm. other musicians. And, and, and that's always great. I love that perspective. But it did start with me talking to my friends, you know, in essence. Yeah. I love that. I, I love all the things like we're that's sort of what we're doing now is like one of our first guests was like our parents, my yeah, mom and yeah. my stepdad. <laughs> and they were talking about murder. She wrote. <laughs> did you about that, was that about, cheesy did we determine that that was cheesy at the end of the episode brilliantly and we didn't care um we were yes. like yeah it's cheesy because basically like my mother going i love this show you know larry you larry you know this you love this show he's like no i don't and then <laughs> she 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 that was their shit and she left them he goes okay i like the show yeah. it's okay i like it i watch it with her i watch it and she goes back and what did he say and we're like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> the Larry and Tina show it's yes. very Hilarious. fun um, and I just want to say that the Sophie I won't say what song was but the Sophie B. Hawkins episode made me change the next song that I was going to talk about on the show I'll just say that y'all can listen to the episode remember I told you what I wanted to do when you're like no yeah Sophie got beef so we can't do the yep. song so yep. I didn't so sorry about that um, never right. mind anyhow so it's <laughs> fine so <laughs> Rob what are we talking about on this podcast about this show today we are talking about Looney Tunes that's what we're talking about excellent so what is it when did you first come into contact with Looney Tunes and can you explain for the um, two people who accidentally <laughs> listening who don't know what this is um <laughs> We're like, what? Um, explain what Looney Tunes is. Well, my first contact was Saturday morning cartoons, dude, which is I, I try very hard with my children to keep like the when I was your age, like this is the way it used to be talk to a to a minimum. Right. Like I, I don't want to over, you know, like walking to school both ways, barefoot. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, but it's like yes. cartoons were on on Saturday mornings. Yeah. And that yep. was it. After school and Saturday mornings, that's when you watch cartoons. There was, you couldn't, there was no such thing as on demand, et cetera, right? So it was Saturday morning cartoons. Absolutely. And this is like early 80s, mid 80s. And Looney Tunes by this point are already like classic, right? Like I really yes. should know this, but I want to say it's like the 50s where they get going. I'd have to look it up. 30s 30s okay started in the 30s Thank and it, at much. sort of the, in the golden age of of hollywood i today mm -hmm, this morning mm -hmm. i watched some of the old ones there was like a very rudimentary like sylvester and tweety bird where they look like they hadn't quite yet been drawn yeah. like completely it was and i'm watching this thing and this is almost 100 years old 100 and i'm watching this hilarious thing where the there's this dog named chester or something and mm -hmm. he's like fighting with a cat and they're pretending to like each other 
and it's it was so funny it felt like planes trains and automobiles i mean it felt like this <laughs> it felt like john candy and steve martin it felt yeah. like this like buddy comedy where they were always at each other and i was like that to me is why those things were so good because they were just they weren't just stupid they were funny right exactly <laughs> they were prestige they were prestige yes. cartoons and i think i think i could sense that even as a kid in the 80s right like it was yeah. interesting like Remember when the monkeys came back on MTV? Like they started re-airing yes. the show on MTV, and it's like I, I had a sense that this was like old kid stuff that was still being served up to me now, but like it held yep. up, you know, and it, it felt did. logical amid, you know, the Thundercats, you know, or the Snorks or whatever I was watching, right? Like it fit there, and it, it was clearly the template for all that stuff, and it was clearly better mm -hmm, exactly. than all the newer stuff. Yeah, you know, but it's just it's this cool sense a hundred years. That's that trips me out that it's a hundred years old. But like just the thought just that like about. my grandpa used to watch this stuff when he was my age, you know, back in you know the mists of time or whatever. Like that that sort of classic. <laughs> elements i think was a, a, evident to me immediately it's it's very good and it's, yeah, it's very there, there's a lot of things that you look back on and i'm at this point always looking back to see if things were racist i mean certainly look like, like tom right. and jerry and you go oh no yeah. oh no thomas yeah oh boo yeah. that's the mammy lady it's just it's yeah, terrible boo. but i and, and there's some element there was like porky pig had blackface at some point oh my god at two mel blank but um <laughs> I, I i i don't know but i think that like said so to me there was just so much going on there because these people were not that anyone who manages to draw a thing and have it become alive is an artist but yeah. uh there was such a Things were they were about the human condition. Like Lynn made that joke when I made the stupid pun, "Oh sister," which is like "Oh father," you know, mm -hmm. with Sylvester and his son, because that's about how children will always be embarrassed by you and think you're dumb mm -hmm. no matter what you do. And, and it we wasn't, are, yeah, I would say we are in our fifties, and we still do that to our mother, who is <laughs> seventy five, because she, I mean, she used to do it to us. Yeah, she used yeah. to go, "Oh Leslie," I mean, she used to, we got that from her, so she actually yeah. gave us a way to you know, make fun of her. Um, but it's, it's, it's true. I do it to my son. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. And he's like, what? So did you, obviously the Looney Tunes started, you know, back in the thirties. And then mm -hmm. there were so many iterations of them in different ways to draw and different people. You know, Mel Blanc, obviously Mel Blanc, who was like the, the father of them all. Mm -hmm. And then things like, um, uh, An Animaniacs and all tiny this stuff. Tune that adventures. Were, tiny tiny tune Adventures. Tiny Tune Adventures all this stuff, and then the Space Jam movies. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a favorite um, sort of era or iteration? And certainly, do you have a favorite character? The favorite character thing, I was trying to think, and I don't know if I do, and that's so weird, right? Like, you're like, who's your favorite Muppet? And I'm like, oh, it's Rolf. You know, yes. or it's uh, Sam oh. the Eagle, right? Like it's, I, I, yes. I want to have an answer to that question, whatever thing you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if I do Looney Tunes wise. Like it's, it feels pat to say bugs, right? But like probably, you know, my favorite Looney Tunes episodes of all time, probably like the one where he's a matador, right? Where yes. like, he tunnels up into the, the bullfight, you know, and he's fighting. Yes. Bull, like, or the one where the, the baseball, where he plays all Every, yes. every position on the baseball team. Like I have the DVD sets. Like they've started putting out like the four DVD box sets. 
and I have a couple of them and just revisiting them, like those are the ones that I gravitate toward. And so the answer to favorite character is probably just bugs. You know, it's it's so funny to me because I my Twitter avatar is Yosemite Sam. It's true. And and I I use that like for every avatar like social media wise, right? Like Slack, you know, Gmail even. And my my yes. son the other day was like, "Why is your Twitter avatar Yosemite Sam?" And it's it's one of those things where whenever I joined Twitter, right in 2009, that's just what I thought of that day. And now that is my identity. <laughs> For, you know, 15, 20, 20, for the rest of time, I'm going to be Yosemite Sam, you know, and I'm never going to change it because I like it now. But it's just like that split decision, like Yosemite Sam, and that's who I am now. And I was I was working late last night and I was exhausted and I stopped and then I pulled up a 30 second clip of Yosemite Sam dancing. Like there was a thing. It's like he's Yosemite Sam shooting at Buzz's feet to make him dance, and then Buzz. Right. Like, yes. Yes. Now, yes. And yes, then yes. there's this move Yosemite Sam does where like he takes his hat off and like he swings it from side, and I laughed for like 15 yes. minutes solid <laughs> at this 30 second clip, and I'm just so grateful to Sam. Uh, but also to just the Looney Tunes that they hold up for me. You know, they hold up for yes. me, and they also I I close the loop or continue the loop by playing these DVDs for my kids and my kids like them. Right. And that's so gratifying to me. Like plenty of times my wife and I like play them, like, I don't know, like the dark crystal or something. And like, they don't get it the way that we got it as kids, but they get Looney Tunes, you know, that appeal truly is universal, you know, and sort of transcends time. I'm so glad about that. Leslie, thank you. That's, I, I love that. And I actually started laughing in my head of Yosemite Sam in that dance. He's so proud of himself. Yes, um, he's very proud of it. That's why So proud funny. of himself. Right. Leslie, what do you have a favorite? Um, yes, Witch Hazel. Um, <laughs> Witch Hazel. Because that she's in my favorite clip, which is um the carrots are a dime are a divine, you get a dozen for a dime. It's magic. And he's sick, he keeps switching the potion going, hocus capocus, <laughs> abracadabra. And and different parts of her head turned into other things like mm-hmm. she's a frog, she got lady head, she's whatever. And he keeps doing it. And it's just the look on her face the, the joke is that it's ramping up every time. It's always something stupid and random. And he's just so Lynn and I would just go hocus pocus. Um, I don't, I don't know if you know this about us, but we spent six and seventh, half of six and all seventh grades as expats in Saudi Arabia, and I did in the not early, holy moly, in the yeah. early eighties, and we watched anything in English. We didn't care um, yeah, if you yeah. had a a, a, a Betamax tape, cutting edge, ladies. Um, Absolutely. We in 1981, 1982, we that's what we watched, and we watched the same Looney Tunes videos over <laughs> over, and and over and over and over so that hocus pocus and the abracadabra that was yeah. just in our dna and it was so delightful to me anytime someone not like i knew we thought we were the only person people watching it but i certainly knew we were watching it probably more than anyone else so yeah. when people get that joke um also <laughs> i love um the roadrunner yeah, um and yeah, yeah. but i really also love wiley coyote you know why because he's committed he did. He's, he's relatable. He's, he's relatable because he's like, yeah, I'm out here trying to eat. I'm a coyote. I'm a predator. You're prey. And the fact that he enlists technology, you know, to try. He is. He's a problem solver. Um, also, my real favorite character is whoever owns Acme um, products, which is probably Bugs. Right. Bugs, because um, they sense. are 
selling these things that don't work, these anvils and the um, the parachutes and the things that just blow up in his face. And he's and also probably yeah. the signs that go, that's all, or whatever it is. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just it's all genius. And once again, all those things are about inevitability and it's like you know like charlie brown was about like you know psychology and relatability i all this stuff the looney tune stuff to me were all about like insanity being the thing you do over and over again and expect different results like Mm -hmm. that you're gonna catch the road road runner um and there was that theme on road runner the coyotes after you if it catches you you're through and we're like gee is it gonna happen this time no no No. it's it's not that because if it did pulls the football back exactly Oh. It's it's the inevitability of it. How about you, yeah. Lynn? Um, so my favorite bit is um Bugs as the conductor of the of the uh, That's orchestra. And then he goes and then he goes it's the best and you can't see me. The low note is the best. And he's running up the steps. Always also the barber of Seville. I had this I had this thought. Just the way that we learned the preamble to the United States Constitution from uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. Like everyone launched into we the people because we have to sing the whole thing. I knew about the Barber of Seville because (laughs) of Bugs Bunny. And that was just as educational to me. I was like, oh, that's that music. So that was my, that was sort of my favorite bits. But if I had a favorite character, it's probably Sylvester and Sylvester Jr. Uh, um, Yes. Because... (laughs) Like I said, that that old father bit, it's just so funny. And again, as a parent now of a of an eleven year old, mm. a newly minted eleven year old boy who um his birthday was earlier this week, he is he can be really embarrassed to me. Like he'll be like, Are you wearing that in the car <laughs> to drop me off? You know, oh, that's what you're wearing. Okay. Oh, are you like seriously, like we went Man. out with our mother yesterday. His grandmother, and she was like, oh, you've seen this dress before? And I was like, you know, my son approved this. She goes, oh, he approves me too. Like, this child will be like, you shouldn't wear that or you should wear that. But all that to say, I really uh, identify with Hmm. Sylvester, who was a bit of an idiot, and I hope I'm not an idiot, but I really, uh, you're trying to, you're just trying to make a life for your kid and a life for yourself. And this kid is not impressed by at anything all. and then when he messes up it's he pities him oh father it's the <laughs> best and i don't know i just think it's hilarious yeah. it's so hilarious rob are there moments and i have a couple in my brain um that you look back and go oh maybe they shouldn't have done that Ooh, hmm I, d- I didn't remember the porky pig in blackface unfortunately that's i can picture that uh <laughs> Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, it's. Let me think about that. I, I agree with you that like for something that is now a hundred years old, there's not as much of that as there usually is, right? Like they yes. don't have the Looney Tunes don't have like a zippity doodah issue <laughs> per se. Oh lord. Um, I I I'm not coming up with anything immediately where like I'm showing my kids and I'm like, uh, you know, and you, that's you know what? true of most things from the eighties that I show them. Like we show them, we yes. watch short circuit and then we realize there's a guy in oh. brown face like uh. the entire time. It's like, Oh my God. Doing an accent. <laughs> yes. Fisher. Exactly. I, I was going to, I was going to post the the video from that. Who's Johnny, the elder barge song. Cause I've been in love mm-hmm. with elder barge yeah, for 40 yeah, years, yeah. but I couldn't post it because of because that. Because the bit. Face. And I was like, yeah, Oh no. Yeah. 
Well, it's so funny because Fisher Stevens is was just on Succession, and every time he came up, I was like, "This is terrible," and I, I'm still blaming him to this day. And he was a great yeah. actor, but he did that one role. I was gonna say Pepe Le Pew. Um, oh right, you're yes, yes, that's very yes, yes. And the um, it's okay to harass, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. to sexually harass um, a cat um, because yeah. you feel yeah. like it, and that's a whole joke. Hold on, pardon me. Sneezy. <laughs> the whole joke Bless of the show was the uncomfortableness. You. It was both. It was the uncomfortableness of a cat and the complete cluelessness of Pepe Le Pew. And mm-hmm. in one way, you can say, okay, it's about toxic masculinity, even though we didn't have that phrase then, that he thinks he's the bee's knees and he doesn't understand this cat is trying to literally wriggle. Her body language is always like, ah! Right, yeah, of course. Like, and yeah. crouch. But when you look at it and go, making her uncomfortable shouldn't be funny. That shouldn't. Right. You shouldn't have to be uncomfortable and mm-hmm. make this poor cat uncomfortable all the time to impress upon the fact that this guy's kind of delusional and, and a jerk. Yeah. You know you what know. just popped into my head is the video for The Way You Make Me Feel, the Michael Jackson. <gasps> yes. That's yes. the one where he's harassing the woman the whole time. Yes. Right? And like that, it's so, I, even in my head now, I'm like, that's a fantastic video. Like, I love that video and like the choreography and the grace of it, but it's the same problem, right? Like, it's. <laughs> You know, and I, my, the, the video thinks that Michael Jackson is the bee's knees, obviously, but it's the same sort of principle that like street harassment is like funny or charming. You know, <laughs> and, and, and not it, just is it funny and charming when one skunk does it or when, you know, one, one Michael yeah. Jackson does it, mm-hmm. but then he's walking past and enlisting the help of other men. That's and she's right. the yeah. only woman, woman. Yep. on the street. And then she yeah. thinks it's charming eventually, but, right. and then guy, that movie probably messed up or just like confirmed quote mm-hmm. confirmed unquote for a lot of men that that's what we wanted you just gotta people commit that, yeah right, right. i just gotta commit if i get dancers if i snap <laughs> if i snap she'll be mine she won't mm-hmm. slap me like it's it's it's, it's so the choreography lynn where was your choreography you know i'm joking <laughs> please um yeah, yeah no that, but, it, just... but you know but you're you're absolutely Right. I never thought of the parallels, even though I know I've watched that video in the ensuing years. And I think even when it came out, something in me, because we were like, what, Bad came out in 87, right? So we were like 16. 17. 16, 17. 16. Yeah. And no. so I remember yeah. remember being like, huh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. cute. Yeah. But he's so adorable. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's so cute. Pepe gonna be was going to be mine. And also. That's a great choice. Yeah. Yeah, and also again, when people talk about cartoon violence, right? They always talk about Tom and Jerry, and they talk yeah. about, and even the Roadrunner about how you can't split yourself. And I actually, I mean, just gonna a little, little, I there was a, a a video, I guess, yesterday of some teenager jumping off of a ship and drowning, supposedly. Mm. Yes, as, he on, was dared uh, to, yeah, because he was dared to, and it talked about other pranks of like people you know, standing on the top of a balcony. And I and right. I bring that up to say is that that was always the argument against some of these things was that people thought that they could do these dumb yeah. things and still live. However, eight-year-olds aren't drunk kids on a cruise ship. 
Oh, you true. Know, so, um, my son, I mean, toddlers, I mean, we all have children and not to, to gender codify things, but boys are terrifying. And, um, I mean, we true. were terrifying too, but I, my, my, my child and Lynch child and all the other little boys that I know and some of the girls, but particularly little boys are just like when they're little, they're super dumb and they just like jump off stuff. And it's like my mm. pediatrician said, basically, your job is to keep them alive for the first three years and hope it all works out. First um, 14 years. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. But I think that like, yes, there are there is a sense of these kids watching stuff and going. It's like 15 year olds watching Jackass. Um, or the kids that we grew up across the street, you know, trying to be MacGyver and blowing stuff up in um, in jars and stuff. Because oh, he put a, a friend of mine put a um, Alka Seltzer in a glass, oh yeah, aspirin bottle and shook it up, and it came really close to oh, God, taking eye. his eye out. It was like right Jeez. below his eye. Yeah, yeah, that was and, yes, we are highly. I guess that's a question. So should we? What do we do with things we go, yes, some people watch these things and they think it's real or they don't understand, particularly little kids, that, you know, a cartoon coyote is not the same as your head, um, your human fragile head. Um, What do we do with that? Do we put – or even with the like the racist stuff or the sexist stuff, do we not show Mm -hmm. it or do we put, like, disclaimers on it or we just, like, hope everyone figures it out? I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of me at six, seven, eight years old. And like, if there's anything that happened on Looney Tunes, like I could do that. Like I always, you know, like painting this, the, the highway <laughs> onto the rock. Yes. And then like, that's like, that's my favorite bit, you know, my favorite concept. I can't think of one thing that I saw that was like, I, I could do that. Like, I'd like to say that Looney Tunes violence, you know, separate from Tom and Jerry or like itchy and scratchy or like most of the rest of the cartoon, yes. there, was a, <laughs> there was a surreal elevated quality that it had yes. where it was very, it was extremely like God level funny, but it wasn't, it, it didn't, it wasn't aspirational in no. that way. It didn't give you ideas. Like what's so beautiful and I, you brought up Charlie Brown and like Peanuts and Looney Tunes are sort of twinned in my head, like in the same yeah. way as like this classic thing, you know, a comic strip amid all these newer comic strips. But I understood like this is the one. And it was the same mm. with Looney Tunes amid all the other cartoons. And it just it had this element to me always, I want to think, where I understood even as an eight year old, like what it was and what it wasn't. And I understood that it wasn't a roadmap for how to live your life. But like no. Leslie's saying, like. <laughs> Like you're both saying, like it, it was mirroring like parent child relationships, your relationships with your friends. Like you could get like a deeper meaning out of it if you wanted to, but you didn't have to. And meanwhile, it's not like I was going out afterward and like trying to drop an anvil on somebody, right? Like I feel like I got it. I feel like I was like, don't right. do this, don't try this at home. You weren't like pulling bigger mallets from behind your back. I love <laughs> exactly. that bit. You know, the mallet and the big giant bits. But, I mean, also, I mean, literally, obviously, something like Itchy and Scratchy is a commentary Mm -hmm. in the late 80s about Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes and Spy versus Spy and and all of these things. Spy versus Spy is a good one. Mad Magazine, all of that. Exactly. So, um, Acme University, man, I know all my stuff. Um, I, I think that... I've watched so much of the older Looney Tunes, but my son and I, we watch movies together a lot. We have movie night. And so we had a back-to-back Space Jam, um, Mm. the old one and the new one. And I 
loved the first one. I have now seen it, watched it. I watched it with him, and then I, I saw it in the theater, and then I watched it again when he fell asleep, like right after. I just want to – the the remake is terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I, I think it, it's like trying to catch lightning about – once again, Don Cheadle – like many good actors in bad movies, seems to be in a different movie. Yes. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to know, he's doing Max von Sydow. <laughs> yeah. He's doing, like, you he's know, committing. Marvelous. He's committing. He's, like, doing Flash Gordon. Again, Max von Sydow's in this movie. I'm like, he's just doing this operatic baddie. And it's like, what is happening in this movie? Um, But it was something Flash. about Flash. Yes. He's to every one of us. Y'all didn't need that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um. So, you know, but there's this thing in the first Looney Tunes. Yes, there was some stuff with like Lola Bunny and the first mm, one sure, who's sure, sure. just weirdly voluptuous. Like it's a children's movie, y'all, and it's just yeah. weird and they're like whistling at her and it's odd. And so just the second weird. one, the Zendaya She'll Lola Bunny is okay. huh? be back, Leslie. Hey, what now? Oh, you you you, you froze. froze on the word weird. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Lola sorry. Bunny, weird, voluptuous, you know, bizarre. Why are we doing that? But the, in the remake, um, Lola Bunny is Zendaya, and she's got more, uh, for, less form-fitting clothes, and she's, mm-hmm. no one's leering at her, and it's less androgynous. I mean, it's more androgynous. She's not androgynous, but the cl- clothing is, and it's not, like, form-fitting. It's a look like a, a girly peep show bag of a mud flap, um, which is what the first one looked like. Um yes. And so it's more appropriate, but something about it was boring. Did you see that, Lynn? Did you see that? I did. What'd you think? I enjoyed it for what it was. It felt like a cash grab. It felt like, let's put the hottest basketball player. And I like LeBron James. So it was funny. I thought he was funny. I thought, you know, I love Don Cheadle in it. It was, it was what it was. I don't, I think the first one... I've seen, but don't remember. And actually, maybe I watched that recently. I don't remember. The the last one is the one that's in my head right now. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a cash grab. It was let's let's do this. Let's take out Jordan. Let's put in LeBron. But of course, it was there was quote different unquote stuff. But you know, it was fine. Do you feel that the <laughs> um, the characters themselves, the Looney Tune characters, held up or were the same or were just kind of generic or what do you think, Rob? I think Bugs Bunny at least has, you know, survived, you know, he's on a Mickey yes. Mouse level. He's on a different tier. Absolutely. Than else. I just, I just saw, and I had forgotten, like uh, in terms of things that are problematic, they took away Elmer Fudd's gun, right. For the new ones, yes. like at some point. And so like just subtle things like that. And I think that those changes make even Elmer Fudd and like everybody on that tier, a little less distinct from like bugs and Daffy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the, the thing about the new Space Jam is like it was just like an avalanche of IP. Right. Like, I don't remember a lot about that movie, Absolutely. but it's just just throwing every TV show, movie, whatever at you. And it's just it's just this dump of like references like that's oh, what all these shows are now. And so I think that Bugs Bunny stands alone in that as, as his sort of own character 
in his own universe, even distinct from the rest of the Looney Tunes. But Absolutely. it was all like the Chris Farley show, but without the, you know, how he'd go, right. remember that yeah, time yeah. you were in the Beatles? <laughs> right. It was all that. that remember was this? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. You, that that, was awesome. that, but that show was actually hilarious. But right. But yes. it was. It was a lot of like, mm-hmm. remember this one? You'll remember this one. You'll love this exactly. one, kids. It was exactly. the K hits of animated shows. <laughs> um, up next, Cool in the Gang. Get down mm. on it. Um, there was a lot of that going on. But, um, you know, too bad you don't do 60 songs that explain the 70s because I would want to talk about Cool in the Gang. You want to, uh, we'll do it. We'll do Is Celebration 70s or 80s? Late uh, Celebration is late eight, late 70s. I'm going to say 79. I'm looking it up. Okay, Look it up, that Lynn. makes sense. Um, anyway, this, I, I, what I love about this too is that when you get three people or six people or whoever in a room who truly love pop culture and you just kind of like rip the band-aid off and and see where it goes um because i'm gonna be on rob's show uh actual recording later today and i was like making notes and i literally nikki nikki giovanni is mentioned in the notes that i made um for this episode which has nothing to do with 90s pop so that'll be interesting but um usually lynn asks about it's toward the end, but I really want to get to it because I think it's appropriate. She usually asks... Oh, but, like, but let's not end yet, though, because I have a couple Well, I don't want to end, but I just want to say I think this, this question is appropriate. Now, because yes. you get into it, we usually ask, is this thing cheesy and why? But I think it's really an actual conversation for the actual conversation because it's yeah. not. I mean, it there's isn't. so much meat there. Yeah. Do you think that this is something <laughs> that they set out to do? or that Did you understand when you were little... You talk about so the gotcha thing. Did you understand that it was different than Thundercats? Did you understand that there was something immediately not Inspector Gadget about it? I did. And first because it was old. Like clearly, you know, I had no conception of how old when I was eight years old. But like I understood that this is stuff from like decades ago. Right. You know, this is stuff that my parents and my grandparents watched. And I sort of accorded it that respect. But like. I, I dig the Flintstones, you know, the Jetsons, yeah. fine. But that was also true of the Flintstones and the Jetsons, right? But I understood Looney Tunes to be on a different, higher tier from that, even. As I say, I, I think I did, there was just a higher quality and there was a soul that yes. Looney Tunes had. I mean, and, and again, Peanuts, Charlie Brown is the, is the connection <laughs> I jumped to, where it's the same yeah. principle, you know, applied to comic strips. But I... Just the Mel, you, you know, you mentioned Mel Blanc and, and the, the voices are just so perfect, you know, like the, the character that has evolved the most from being a kid to being a, an adult is Foghorn Leghorn, right? Like, I, I don't oh. think that I dug him necessarily <laughs> as a kid. Like, he was fine, but he was like third tier or whatever. But like Foghorn Leghorn's voice just on its own, regardless of what he's saying or doing, is just so funny to me now. And I can't explain I'll say, why. I'll say, boy. That's and it. what's funny is... You nailed I, it. I, I, thank you. I didn't understand what that Foghorn Leghorn was supposed to be, like a Southern Plantation-like mm-hmm. guy. His name was Fog, the Foghorn Leghorn. And I, Lynn knows I use that term all the time along with Farnsworth, Barnsworth III, when I'm um, <laughs> d- describing... Either like very grandiose like Southern stereotypes or like yeah. for, Farnsworth Barnsworth is usually like either like to me in my head like a Southern senator or like mm-hmm. some sort of um you know uh like guy who Billy Zopka would have played in a movie right. in, in in the eighties. Right. Um, yeah, Ted yeah. McGinley so, in, the, in Revenge of Ted the Ted McGinley is a great one. Very yeah. much so. So and the, once again the the fact that these mo- these these television cartoons 
imprinted on us so much that we're mm-hmm. still using talking about them. Talking about it. The fact that you would think, yes, you know, the second uh Space Jam was certainly a cash grab, but that they found this as the one to go back to to try mm-hmm. to recreate. Because what the first Space Jam did was it blew my mind that you had Michael Jordan, who, by the way, was admitting in a very self-reflective way that we wouldn't see again until the last dance, admitting that maybe he'd made a mistake becoming a baseball player. Right, and right, it was right. I had not remembered that from watching it in my 20s, that he was very immediately being very self-reflective and yeah. kind mm-hmm. of being able to, to rib himself a little bit about the fact that he was terrible. As a, as a baseball player, and yeah. that he really needed to come back to being, you know, of course, in the movie has him is he's the best basketball player that has ever lived, and he's the only person that can save every one of us. Thank you. I'm sorry. The universe, it's, yes. Yes, it's, that again, I it's a Flash Gordon thing. I had to. I had to. Fine, but yeah. I did. You I had did. to, but that fact that... There was once again this very human thing about, oh, he's not spending time with his kids because he's too busy playing baseball and he's chasing this thing. And Larry Bird and Bill Murray have to tell him about himself. And, (laughs) you know, and it just, once again, these were very, I was an adult when that movie, the first one came out, but I was like still kind of dumb. I was in my late 20s, probably. Late When was it? What, 97, 98, the movie, 99? I think mid 90s. Mid 90s. It was 20s. Yeah, mid to late twenties, but watching it now as a parent and thinking about the things you try to do, you know, that make fulfill you but aren't necessarily working, or the uh-huh. thing that you um, pretend that you really want badly not to be, yeah, but you you try to be something else, and it comes the thing you're supposed to be comes back and and slaps you in the face. Is it obligation? You know, are the mo- the monsters trying to kill you? You know, whatever. I yeah. I love that. I just once again there's something so brilliant. If you haven't seen Space Jam, there's a moment these little teeny tiny bug-like creatures um who are coming from a a planet where their evil boss is trying to basically make everything this terrible amusement park and he's oh. running out of ideas, Danny DeVito. Yeah, so I will I say that, this. Okay. There was something very unsettling about the image because in his mind he's going and we'll have michael jordan will win and he'll be here all the time and he'll just be here signing autographs all day long and they have a cartoon michael jordan from the back chained and i thought ooh, because it was like a black man being chained to something for the rest of his life and i was like this is a terrible imagery who was not in that room so that was not repeated that imagery was not repeated in the 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 remake, but I remember thinking that going, ooh, Lord, what was happening in 1996? That somebody thought that that was okay. Right, right. You know, the, okay, I was going to say the the thing that I sort of use as like a metaphor for like life is the bit with the um, sheepdog and the wolf. Um, <laughs> and how Ralph and whatever, and how they log in, they clock, they clock in every in. day. On the tree. <laughs> they clock in on the tree, and then basically the wolf tries to steal a sheep. The sheepdog beats him up every every day, and then they clock out. And I talk about that all That's the time beautiful. as a metaphor for how you're just, like, doing your job. And you yeah. – life is a job, and you're doing it. And then when you leave, you're kind of like, hey, let's, do, like, do whatever. But mm-hmm. that always – I don't know what it is about that as a 12 year old that stuck with me. Cause again, That's like fantastic. Leslie said, we used to watch these videos over 
yeah. and over and over again when we were overseas. And um, that one stuck with me. <laughs> That's that fantastic. Was, yeah. That was wild. Do you do you have any that you kind of use like in your head or maybe like in, and like I said, I talk a lot to like in metaphors, but that you like think about more than you think about others nowadays? Uh, the baseball one where Bugs Bunny plays all the positions, like it starts out with like a baseball team getting their asses kicked. Like it's all old guys, right? And they're losing like right. 600 and nothing or whatever. And there's this image. Right. It's uh, the Gas House Gorillas are the team that's that's kicking yes. their asses. And there's the Gas House Gorillas are up to bat. And it's like like a like a like a conga dance around the bases Right. Where like, and it's like it's like rhythmic. So like a guy hits the and like the 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 runs like they score a run on every beat, and like there's a there's a line dance around the bases. When I used to play softball, I would have that song in my head a lot as my softball team was getting its ass kicked. Like I would just I would just think about that <laughs> that like twenty second musical sequence of of a of a team of old guys getting their asses kicked in baseball like that image reoccurs to me a lot in my daily life <laughs> i love it <clears throat> leslie do you have any looney tune stuff that gets into your head i talked about the the uh sheep dog and the wolf clocking into oh, the tree that's my favorite i mean i the once again the, the hocus pocus hocus pocus abracadabra thing anytime i make carrots i sing that carrots are a di are a divine song and my child <laughs> also i like doing it when i don't explain because sometimes he wants me to explain what, he, what i'm talking about to make sure that i'm not having a stroke or something mm -hmm. um and then sometimes he just looks at me like you know what lady i don't want to know i i'm, <laughs> I'm just not interested i do mention the acme thing entirely too much and once again i assume at this age um, Lynn and I are in our early 50s, Rob's in his 40s. Um, I don't care if y'all get my references. It's fine because I feel like the people that I'm speaking to, well, that's the thing about this kind of show is that you're either going to get it, look it up, or ignore it. But it's it's kind of not funny if you have to keep explaining it and because then, then you look desperate and dumb. So I just kind of like to kind of throw that out there um, and just – and the people that will get it will get it, and those are your people, right? Yeah, I feel like even kids who don't think they know anything about the Looney Tunes now know like the Roadrunner, Wile E. Coyote, and Acme, right. right? And they know Bugs Bunny. They know like the most archetypal moments. Yeah, right? right. like even Tweety... if they've never seen it. Absolutely, like Tweety Bird for some reason makes a renaissance every couple of years where girls are yes. putting. Yeah. Tweety birds <laughs> as like their tattoos or on the shirts or, or whatever. Yes, or their little tiny shirts. Also, one of the things, my mother has said this, that one of her favorite things about watching those shows with us was not only watching us like it, but picking up on things that she hadn't seen as a kid, mm. like things that she wouldn't have either references she wouldn't have recognized. Um, this isn't obviously Lunatunes, but from that same period that we were in Saudi Arabia, we watched a lot of like Abbott and Costello or whatever. And right, right, right. I could for a while quote the who's on first, what's on second. And I think that probably at that point, some of our contemporaries would have understood that. And no, certainly my, my son has no clue, but I say that all the time. I say Lynn and I, that is on about two shorthands for, you're being confusing or you're confused is who's on first what's on second and also the line from sleep from um while you were sleeping 
where Sandra Bullock is about to marry Peter Gallagher and she's trying to explain it to her boss. And he goes, wait a minute, Lucy, this is your wedding invitation. Like he didn't get it. Like she'd been having this entire conversation to him and he was yeah. just catching up on what it was about. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's all of those things. Also, I'm just obsessed with this stuff and have found one of the three jobs I think that you can actually get paid for um, being obsessed with pop culture. So there we go. <laughs> My kids found Who's On First on YouTube. I think they were showing it in school oh. and like they loved it. And like they wanted, my parents came over and they wanted to play it for my parents. So I can't, if you put Who's On First in front of kids, I yes. think that it still signifies for them. I think they get it, but that's, that's not a thing. That's a thing they can't absorb from elsewhere like that you have no. to actually indoctrinate them. But like it works most of the it time it's when you funny. try. Because it's, I think that kids understand. Like, my son watches a lot of, like, shows about, like, um, people running home run derbies. Or he watches, like, he likes mm. science stuff where things blow up. Also, he just likes, like, stupid stuff where people are tripping over each other. You know what I mean? He, he enjoys these things. But yeah. if you put something that's wordplay in mm. front of him, if you put, like, a who's on first or you, like, um, tongue twisters. He loves tongue twisters. It's like... It can still be funny. It's dumb, but it can still be funny. Um, where you, it's a little elevated. I think that that's what like we keep saying that Looney Tunes did was like say we're gonna make this funny, but also we're gonna make you think about it, and you're mm -hmm. not even gonna understand everything we're we're teaching you. We're trying to tell you, and there's some things that people understood. Like in 1950, people would have understood Foghorn Leghorn in his con in his context, right. Or they would have understood Pepe Le Pew as a Marie Chevalier kind mm -hmm. of a character. They would have understood. And the commentary it was making on that archetype, mm -hmm. which was very of the day, you know. Yeah. So they it wasn't just some weird, like, French skunk. It was a <laughs> comment on a guy who was, like, a movie star right now. It's like if they had made – when Sarah Night Live makes fun of things that are happening right now mm -hmm. and they're very – um, au courant, if I may be so fancy. Um, that was very fancy. Not so God bless you. Um, you know, I just, I just love it, and, <laughs> and also like understanding the context of these things, and that even yeah. though our kids would not understand what was happening or who some of these people were, or whatever, in you know, um, in like who's on first, they just get that it's funny. Right. The and, other one I want to mention before I lose the chance to mention it is Duck Amuck. Remember the one where it's Daffy Duck and like the scene keeps changing. Like Daffy Duck yes. knows he's in a cartoon and he's trying yes. to perform in a cartoon, but like the the brush comes out and like the scenery yes. and like his outfit and like suddenly he's skiing and so he's like, all right, I'll ski. And then the snow and like that that's a brilliant idea, right? Like that's so high concept and like as you say, Leslie, you like you can you can make that about like. The environment around you like you can make it like this sort of existential you can make an existential reading of it reading of it if you want but it's also just hilarious you know like it works on a five-year-old it works on a 45-year-old well and i think that you have to that was intentional i think that once again yeah. these were um shows that were these were were pieces of art that were constructed to be that way they were constructed to be 
funny and both in an intentional and an existential way that they yeah. knew, like, for instance, that maybe older kids or parents were going to watch it and understand, oh, no, it, this is meta. You know, this mm. is a commentary yeah. on, you know, maybe what it is that we're being led to do in life and who's controlling it and who's a puppet master. And kids are just like, Daffy's he's trying to ski. Mm-hmm. Exactly. trying to ski. Exactly. Why won't they let him live? Exactly. Um, but honestly, D- Daffy Duck and Donald Duck are two of my favorite characters because mm-hmm. they just want to be left the hell just alone. Exasperated, yeah. Exasperated yeah, yeah. because there's always. I mean, Bugs Bunny <laughs> at least is funny. Mickey's just kind of there, and everything yeah. looks like him and shaped but like him, and he own everything is mousecadoodle and mouse yeah. whatever. And Daffy's and his house is shaped like him. His house is shaped like him. The whole clubhouse. It's like it's my Weird. clubhouse. Look at my ears. And so Donald, I used to watch uh, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse that. Um, obviously, uh, they might be giants. Uh, did the theme too brilliant because mm-hmm. you know always get your bag, Hot continue dog. to get your bag. Always get yes. your bag. Always yes. get your bag. But I'm watching it, and my kid picks up on the fact he goes, "Why are they always so mean to Donald?" Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, "Donald is us. Donald is the one who knows he's never gonna be <laughs> nothing's shaped." Surrogate. Did you ever? There was an episode where it was the Donald Duck Clubhouse and it was no. shaped like a duck. Cause it no. was hilarious because Donald's like, I'm gonna do my own. Duck. So it was the and it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. It doesn't yeah. stay that way, obviously. And of course he screws it up because it's Donald. Sure. But <laughs> where he decides that he's in charge that day and he's gonna figure it out. And it's just it was so sublime because it answered so many questions to me about what if you're always the sidekick? What if you're always the also ran? Mm-hmm. You know, once again, this is right. not because I think that Daffy Duck felt that way too. That Daffy Duck would be like, oh, yeah. "I'm gonna do this better than this, you know, this bunny." And of course, he couldn't. What is it about ducks that made a duck like the exasperated sidekick of two of right. the most prominent pop culture franchises of the? I'm gonna look that up. Century. I'm gonna feel like a, a duck did something very bad to yeah, someone. At there, one. There, there, there is a duck. There is one duck that screwed this up <laughs> for all ducks. Uh, they needed right an agent. That. Ducks need. They, they, ducks need like an ag- advocacy group. Exactly. Like Image rehab. For them. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere, if we looked it up after this episode, I would not be surprised that at some point there was some sort of episode where Daffy made up some sort of like acronym for something. Or I, I'm positive that there was some duck related thing that it, it all, and yeah. it literally would like face blew up like a cigar, you know, because mm-hmm. that would happen frequently. Exactly. Um, as we and I already asked like the ending question, but yeah. um, do you, what do you think? So I'll use this one, and Lynn, if you have a better one, you can shoot it too. I um, won't. I won't. You don't know that though. Believe, believe in yourself, girl. There um, can be miracles. <laughs> and this is why nothing ever gets done around here, Rob. You're like, how do they actually manage? Yeah, to put it have you podcast? done that song? Have you done that song? Have you done "If You Believe" by Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey? On your I show? have not. No, I've done both Whitney and Mariah, but separate songs. And I should. Okay. I, just, I I've wanted to go back to both of them, and so that would do be a chance one. to do both of if them. If you if you want somebody like nobody knows me, but if you want that, I would totally do that. Episode. Everyone knows you, Lynn. There you go. Totally... A, a famous podcast. <laughs> we try. Sure, um, we we try. So I was the question I was going to ask was, what do you think? we can learn from Looney Tunes, not just about, like anything, but the longevity of it or the fact that it holds up or that it holds up certainly better than, or more long than some of its contemporaries, certainly in sort of a immediately recognizable sense. 
What can we learn? I what I was thinking when we were talking about like Charlie Brown and stuff is what the Looney Tunes don't have is like a Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Like they don't have mm, right. there's like not like a melancholy, you know, mm. adults think about what it was like when they were children moment. Like Looney Tunes right. is deep, but not deep on that level. It's not trying to bum you out exquisitely, <laughs> you know, the way Peanuts does. And so I it's there's just something about the quality of everything. And again, that's something yes. that I could sense even as a kid, just the way it was drawn and the characterization and the voices maybe most of all. Like there was just a quality and a care for these characters that was so evident, even if you, you're not like conscious of, of thinking in those terms. It just it was just better. You know, like I, I was encountering as an eight year old plenty of stuff that was older that I understood that like old people used to like. Right. But like I didn't necessarily <laughs> like all those things, but just immediately Looney Tunes is like, oh, this is way better than anything else. And I, I think that there is we were talking about like the violence of it and the, like is in the problematic aspect of it. And I think that for an 100 year old institution now, like they have it, they don't have a perfect track record by any means, but like they are careful in that way, you know, and I do think they did manage to be timeless in real time and to avoid like the uglier aspects of the time that they were in like is I can't forget if it I can't remember if it was HBO Max or Disney but like some one of the streaming services when they launched did like a new Looney Tunes right like yes. new episodes <laughs> and I watched oh, that yeah. with my kids and it was fine but like there was something off about it and yes. it was the violence like there was there were just these moments that were just one it wasn't <laughs> awful but they were just one click more sadistic you know, mm. just a little bit more like itchy and scratchy and just sort of reveling <laughs> in the pain of Porky Pig when he like steps on attack or something like there. Something so subtle just was totally made the whole thing tonally off and just sort of ruins the mystique of it for me. And I, I do think that it was they, they knew exactly how far to go with the violence and with like the cruelty of it, you know, and I think it gets back into like the clocking in and clocking out element, like yeah. even the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote, like there was there was an understanding and there was a respect right. between these characters, even when they were fighting. That's just just not ingrained in the vast majority of other cartoons. And I think all of that, oh. like the artistic quality, but also in a very subtle way, the emotional maturity of it. You know, and the respect that the show has for you and that the characters have for each other, I think that's what makes it timeless and that's what makes it, you know, not cheesy. Absolutely. That's, and but that's really beautiful. By the way, I, I was looking up Porky Pig and Blackface, and apparently oh he um, was dressed as Cab Calloway. So that was oh why he was wearing Blackface. Um, also, apparently, there was a, a whole like dark looney tunes sambo bit um so let's uh, not yeah, yeah so let's acknowledge that that, that happened yeah not sure. perfect so when you said that i was like let me look this up to make sure i didn't lie on porky pig and i did not uh, I'm um sure you didn't. also i'll raise you a sambo <laughs> um and no the, one ever wants to do that the porky pig notes app apology i just popped in my head. it's like <laughs> never mind <laughs> 
That's, that's so funny to me. And he would be like, okay, so this is a story I'm going to tell very quickly. It's it's the best apology ever. Um, I don't think I've ever told you the story. So 1996, uh, 1997, it was 1996 Grammys. Uh, Sean Colvin wins uh, a few small repairs, and he's laughing because I'll tell you why later. But um, she wins the Grammy for a few small repairs, and Oh Dirty Bastard comes on and steps on her moment, Wu-Tang for the children. That was her. She was accepting her Grammy, and yeah. ODB was like, I didn't win nothing. I bought this suit, whatever. So. We see her at the 930 Club later, um, after not long after the Grammys um, in D.C., and she talks about how she loved that moment because it was this beautiful moment of live television, and that he wrote her, he, it was, this is how 90s was, he faxed her an apology letter. And he was like, I'm so sorry, Miss Colvin. I was caught up in the Ms. moment. I didn't Colvin. mean yeah. to, to um, step on your moment. And he ends with, with deepest regret, old dirty bastard. Um <laughs> And that was the most beautiful thing. And so when you mentioned note, that's the best. It's not a, you know, a notes app apology, but it it was pretty dark. It was on a fax machine. The faxed ODB apology. That's beautiful. That should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I I I wish I had it. On Sean Colvin's wall. It belongs to her. It's her apology. Oh, my God. It's the best thing. It's in her bathroom or whatever. Yeah, that's great. I want that so badly now. Sean Colvin, if you're listening to this, which I know you're not, um, I I, I would. I would very much like to have to see that letter again. Anyway, um, this has been really amazing. So, Rob, tell us where you can be found. I can be found on the internet uh, broadly. I am the 60 songs that explain the 90s is still going on. We are doing 120 songs now. We are in our last. I'm on what? I'm Leslie and I uh, will be taping later today, I believe, 94, yes. episode 94, the interview portion. Oh, wow. So I'm going to wow. be doing this for the rest of the year. I do have a book coming out in November called oh. Songs That Explain the 90s, which is about this show, which is a uh, companion to the show, right? Excerpts from the scripts with illustrations, stuff like that. So, yeah, this is what I'm going to be doing for at least the rest of the year. And then I got to find something else to do, but I will, you know. But I'm just I'm just on Twitter for the moment. I guess, you know, by the time this airs, I might not be at this rate. Mm. But uh, it's yeah, mm. the 60 Songs That Explain the 90s is what I'm going to be doing for at least another year. Just another year. I don't think I'm going. I'm. I'm not. I can't do any more songs. I've. I've worn out my welcome. <laughs> okay. I suspect. Because I mean, how many requests do you get? Like, a on lot, average. And I love it. I. You know what? I'm so mad at myself. Is the first when the show started. I should have opened up an Excel chart and just logged every request that I got. I would pay so much money oh my to God. know exactly how many people have requested each song and so yeah i just through dms emails you know i'm always getting requests and i love it but i just i want to know so badly what is the most requested song you know what i get a lot like disproportionate to what i would expect is the tragically hip people really? from canada if you, <laughs> people from Can- canadians they're called i love the tragically <laughs> hip anecdotally speaking I just, if you know, you know, I think is the deal with the tragically hip. And if you know, you really, 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 really know. And so that's, that's always, you know, like I, people would ask about Nirvana, right? And, and, and on and on and on. But I just, I want that Excel chart so badly. But yeah, the tragically hip, you know, outperforms like their U.S. chart performance, right? Like that, that's a much bigger deal than I thought. (laughs) 
I I don't know if you ever read all of the like. There's like the Facebook page um that I'm on the sixty songs Facebook page or like even like every once in a while I would like look up and see like what songs if you like called me back and you always did like what songs had been done and people would say like when when you were getting towards the first ninety whenever you would take a break and say hey we're gonna take a break for a month and come back you'd yeah. always have somebody going they're not gonna do Nirvana are they. <laughs> And I would go, and I would always yell at the page, how could they not? And they would always go, they'd get a little closer, and someone said, it was funny, right, because my first episode with Celine Dion was My Heart Will Go On, and mm-hmm. someone says, oh, I, I hate, they're, they're going to do it before Nirvana, aren't they? They're going to do Celine before Dion. And I was like, yes, they are, darn yes, it. Yes, they are. And Celine it was, has earned it, and, and you have earned it, yes. It is, it is not a merit so ranking of the songs, except for that one. Celine Dion is, was first on purpose. Yes. yes uh, there yes. you go. Well, this has been really amazing. Um, this has once been again, awesome. thank you so much for, for hanging out with us in this ridiculous thing. Um, it's been delightful. It, was, it has been delightful. So, um, again, I am Leslie Grace Streeter. She's Lynn Streeter Childress. She's Robert Villa. This is Fine Beats and Cheeses. And as we always say, keep it breezy, keep it cheesy. <laughs> We do. We do. Every week. <laughs> you certainly do. <laughs> oh, boy. Bye. Just a little cheesy, extremely breezy. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.